Where did you learn to yo-yo? Me? Oh. I learned to yo-yo from a guy named Andre Boulet. He happens to also be the owner of the greatest yo-yo store in the world, yoyoexpert.com. On yoyoexpert.com, you can learn tricks to bring you from being a simple beginner to an expert. And while you're at it, you can buy a yo-yo. What would I recommend if you're first starting? I think I would recommend a recess first base or maybe a caribou lodge yeti. Otherwise, I would probably pick up a recess diplomat, Colin Beckford's signature yo-yo, or alternatively, a caribou lodge manatee, so you can feel like Ricardo Fralini. No matter what you order, it'll be on your doorstep in just two days. Now get this. If you use the coupon code SCALES, that is S-C-A-L-E-S, you can have that shipping cost you zero dollars and zero cents. And that's a thank you from us for listening to the Scales podcast. Yo-Yo Expert, make the simple amazing. Hey guys, this is Adam Brewster from COIW, and you're listening to the Scales podcast with Mark Mangren and Andrew Bergen. Do yourself a favor and pick up the new Kodiak from COIW. It's the signature return top of Tessa Pacillo, and this thing is one of the most stable, long-spinning, smooth, trick-crushing beasts I've ever played with. Seriously, guys, this thing is so good. Do not wait on this one. Go ahead and pick one up as soon as you can. Hey, everyone. It's Colin from Recess here, and thank you for listening to the Scales Podcast. Recess has been working on some new products coming soon, such as Ahmad's signature yo-yo, the Komodo, which will be releasing at a big yo-yo contest in a few weeks, as well as the round two of the first Space Fruit series. Be on the lookout for these and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Scales Podcast. My name is Mark McGarren, and this is episode four. Today, we're honored to listen to a conversation with one of, I believe, seven yo-yo grandmasters, that is Steve Brown, one of the biggest contributors to current yo-yoing. Uh, he's been part of the yo-yo industry for longer than I've been alive, and looking through his yo-yo wiki page, uh, let's see here, he is 1BAC and has gotten as high as 4th at Worlds. He's gotten 2nd at Worlds in the Grandmaster, that is the over 40 division. I don't know how old he is, you can ask him. Uh, he has created the entire division of 5A, uh, thank you for that, and has a Lifetime Achievement Chick Innovator of the Year Award for the 365 project. Um, he has been part of multiple teams over the years. He has contributed to Team Losi, Team Duncan, Team Yo-Yo Factory, and now he is the team manager and I guess director of Caribou Lodge. Uh, so I guess he's my boss. I have to say nice things about him. Most recently, he was the head organizer for the 2016 World Yo-Yo Contest in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, there's a lot of controversy leading up to this contest, but I don't know. I had a lot of fun, and everyone that I knew had a lot of fun too. Uh, so, my co-host Andrew Bergen sits down with him to discuss why Cleveland. We're here with Steve Brown today. Steve ran the World Yo-Yo Contest this year in Cleveland. Hey, Steve. Hey. How's it going? It's going alright. Alright, so, can you give us a summary of how you got the World Yo-Yo Contest to Cleveland and go into... 
such um, go into what you had to do in order to get such a great venue and really get the contest to come together? Well, the World Yo-Yo Contest is basically it's basically on a three-year rotation. Okay, so it's going to go uh, Europe, Asia, and then North America. Uh, so this year was North America. Knowing that you know I had a little bit of time to prepare for it, basically about a year, probably about 12, 13, 14, 14 15 months ago, uh, I started working on the proposal. And basically the proposal has to be submitted to the National Yo-Yo League, since the National Yo-Yo League is the governing body here, uh, and then approved and then submitted to the International, the International Yo-Yo Federation, the IYYF. So basically, I kind of sat down and figured out, like, okay, well, what is, what's the contest that I want to run? Because I've I've been complaining about the World Yo-Yo Contest since 1996. You're very well known for that. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, and this was my chance to you know, put up or shut up, basically. Um, so I kind of sat down, put together like my my ultimate wish list. Uh, and then kind of pulled back a little bit and decided what was realistic, uh, what you know, features, aspects were optional, um, what could I live with, what could I live without. And then I contacted the Cleveland uh, like Convention Bureau, like the Visitors Bureau, sat down, kind of talked to them a little bit, and they actually kicked me over to the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission because they kind of considered this more of a sporting event than a convention. Uh, Greater Cleveland Sports Convention is fantastic. Um, they are an office, uh, kind of a, de- a nonprofit sort of department of the actual city of Cleveland, and their job is just to bring sporting events to the Greater Cleveland area. Um, everything from like the transplant games, which is like Olympic style games for people who have had like organ and limb transplants, uh, all the way to the the gay games, the senior games. Uh, and the 2016 World Yo-Yo Contest. So I sat down with them and kind of went through my vision for the event, like what I was trying to accomplish, what past contests have done, um, showed them a bunch of footage from past worlds, and just kind of you know laid everything out for them, and then worked with them to put together a proposal for Cleveland as the host city. Uh, and then I sat down, um, I got a little bit of budgetary information for the 2015 event in Japan and the 2014 event in Prague and then just kind of built out like an, uh, kind of a projected like estimated budget from there, put together the whole proposal, submitted it to the National Yo-Yo League. They gave it the golden thumbs up, passed it along to the IYYF. IYYF gave it the golden thumbs up and then I said, oh, holy crap, now I have to actually do this. Well, uh, so... It's a ton of work, but it sounds like the convention uh, committee, I think it was, and who linked you to the sports commission. Yeah. So it sounds like they were a big deal in like getting a place like this, correct? Yeah, they were a good help. Basically, what happened is I ran around and scouted locations, and um, the Renaissance was basically my first choice. Um, there were some, there was a couple of other venues that were still downtown and were still like good proximity to various hotels and, you know, in an area where 
transportation would be easy, lodging would be easy. Um, but the other venues that I was able to find either weren't quite large enough or they were too big. Um, I don't know if anybody listening remembers the 1999 World Yo-Yo Contest in Honolulu, but they held it in this gigantic warehouse space and it was empty. So it was, you know, there was room for probably like 8,000 people in there, but they had like 800 show up. Um, and so it was just like this weird, giant, echoey, concrete sadness in the middle of paradise, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and we had some other spaces downtown, like the, the new convention center, which is actually really, really nice and has multiple rooms. We probably could have used like one of the smaller ones, but then we would just have like one room in a convention center and we'd have to still like rent uh, like that snap together staging that they used to use in Orlando. And it's just terrible and I hate it. So for me, like, you know, one of my primary needs for the, the venue was to actually have like a permanent built-in stage uh, so that we actually had like a nice surface for people to compete on. So I kind of went through, ran around, looked at a bunch of different venues. Uh, the Renaissance was my first choice. And then I went to the sports commission and said, hey, do you have a relationship with these people? Do you have somebody I can talk to? Can you help me get a meeting with the right person? Uh, and so they put me in touch with the Renaissance, hooked me up with the right people, helped me negotiate the rate for the hotel rooms, helped me negotiate the rate for the actual event space. Um, and it was nice because they've run other events there in the past. So it was one of those things that they had an idea like what this should be already. Um, so instead of kind of walking into the negotiation blind, like I knew where things ought to be money-wise. Um, so it was, it was a tremendous help from them because instead of having to kind of start everything from scratch and then hope like hell that I didn't get taken advantage of, um, I was able to get like kind of some ballpark numbers before I sat down to negotiate, which was nice. Yeah, I, I think that it's very... Uh, important that that's mentioned considering that I'm someone for instance who's wanted to run a contest in the past but a lot of times I don't even know where to start so knowing that you have resources like that specifically are is really important I think and really crucial information yeah it's really difficult um, this is like kind of a weird existential crisis that I'm constantly having in that on the one hand like I have spent many, many, many years kind of learning how to do this correctly and getting good at this and figuring out all the ins and outs and figuring out how to run a contest and make it an actual like profitable business venture. Um, and part of me wants to immediately jump up and run out and help everybody who goes, man, I'd like to run a contest. But then part of me is like, man, I have busted ass and sweat and bled to like gain this knowledge the hard way, why should I give it away for free? So there's this weird like, there's this. I, weird... I understand exactly what you're talking about. I feel the same way with like competitive yo-yo stuff, where you don't want to give away like your secrets and like what makes it easy for you because you had to work to get there. Yeah, but that's Later the thing on. is I I do yeah. want like I do want to spread this knowledge and I do want to help new organizers because. 
you know, I don't want I don't want the industry to get us into this position where there's like three dudes at the top running everything and you can never get rid of us because nobody else knows how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we kind of had like a weird glimpse of that uh, in like 2011, 2012. And, you know, it, it basically led to, you know, this weird sort of coup where we kind of took the World Yo-Yo Contest away from the organizer at the time. And it was uncomfortable and it was handled badly and it was to everyone's detriment that things had to be done that way. So for me, like, it's hugely valuable to the community and to the industry to have multiple people who can handle events on this scale. Um, but at the same time, I find myself having this natural inclination to be a little bit of a gatekeeper of the knowledge and make sure that if I'm going to give this knowledge away, I'm going to give it to somebody who's capable, like legitimately, seriously, no bullshit capable. So it's like, I want to give it away, but I want to make you jump through hoops for it <laughs> first. <laughs> Which, yeah, I definitely like, see what you mean. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a dick move. It's, it's kind of a... a I don't like being in this position. I don't like feeling like there aren't enough people who can carry this sort of thing forward. But at the same time, it's, you know, this isn't me. This isn't me safeguarding my own knowledge. This is me making sure that the people that I'm basically training to replace me in this industry are going to carry it forward, you know? Yeah, and they're a reflection on all of us people who yo-yo. So if you have a giant flub as a contest, everybody who saw it that day will write off yo-yos for the rest of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's you know, there, I, I remember, you know, early attending early world yo-yo contests. And I remember the kind of impact that that has on you as a player. And going to an event that's like run smoothly and run well and you get to run around and... Um, you know, and like really absorb it and like really like level up as a player, like going to a well-run event, like those were some of the single most formative times in my life uh, in my early career as a yo-yo player. So for me, the responsibility to run like a serious, no bullshit, solid event is, is overwhelming. Like the pressure to do this right is tremendous because I value it so highly personally. Yeah, and I think you pulled it off really well. I think even better than most people had anticipated. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, as soon as Cleveland was announced, everybody rolled their damn eyes and went, ugh. And... Yeah, I, I, I did as well. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think almost everyone did when you're standing in Tokyo and you see Cleveland on the screen, right? Yeah. But after arriving there, it, it was a lot different than I expected. It was a lot more welcoming. Uh, and I think it's because you just have to have it in the right area. It almost doesn't matter in the world where... And this isn't to speak badly of Cleveland, because after spending time there, my uh, I, I did a 180 on my opinion. Yeah, it's... um, We're at a weird point in yo-yoing where the, the contests have grown to a large enough size where um, they are... If you do it right, it's a legitimate like business venture for somebody. So that means that you need to like really take it seriously as far as the amount of time and resource that you put into it um, so that you can do two things. One, you can provide a quality event for everybody that's taking and, and spending their hard-earned money and time to attend it. And then two, you need to turn enough of a profit to make it worth your while to do the next one. 
Um, and so those two things are, are equally important and, and really difficult. And one of the things that we're running up against, and this is probably, I would say right now, this is like the biggest problem with uh, at least US contest organizing, is that we're just now getting things to the scale where like the sports commission or the visitors bureau of American city A is actually hearing about these things and hearing about what kind of involvement they can have and trying to contact the National Yo-Yo League to put bids in because they want to host the next big contest. And that's great. But the problem now is that now we have to basically fight the yo-yo players to get the contest into these cities because as soon as you announce World Yo-Yo Contest is going to be in Cleveland, the very first thing that happens is everyone goes online to tell you what an idiot you are for putting it in Cleveland and how dare you and I'm not going to go and I'm not going to support it. And, you know, we actually had we had companies sponsor the World Yo-Yo Contest while their employees were online telling me what a stupid idea it was and how they weren't going to attend. Like, that made me feel so awesome. But we've got we've actually gotten multiple cities and these are not like glamorous cities. This is not like Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego, New York. Like it's, it's these smaller, like secondary kind of cities and they've contacted us and they're like, we want to support this. We want to bring this contest here. What can we do to help you? What can we do? What can we provide your event? So it's like, okay, well this is, exactly the kind of local support that you need to put together a, a well-oiled machine, you know, to put together a contest that's going to be big and locally supported and locally promoted, have a lot of traffic, have a lot of support, have a lot of press, have a lot of promo, run on time, end on time, everybody walks away happy. Like, this is exactly the infrastructure that we need, but if you have it in, like, you know, Twin Pines, Minnesota, like, are people going to show up? Are people going to show up? And are they people going to give us the benefit of the doubt that we know how to run a good event? Or are they just going to complain about it and then not come? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I feel you had to be bold and do this in order to prove that it is possible to do it there. Because it would be impossible, let's say, this year, to do it in somewhere like New York, where I am. Because... The, the it would be impossible to turn a profit. Yeah, you can never rent a space for that that large or anything and be able to turn a profit currently. Yeah, and it's a it's a weird thing too because I mean like there were some people that were complaining about Cleveland not being exotic enough, and I was like, okay, well, you know, did you what did you think of the contest in Tokyo? And they're like, oh, I didn't go. And I'm like, well, what did you think of the contest in Prague? And they're like, oh, I didn't go. And I'm like, all right, so when the contest is exotic enough for you, you don't go. But when the contest is reasonably priced and affordable and close to you, you're not going to go either. So it, so it hits this weird point, too, where it's like, well, you know, to some degree, obviously, yes, we need to listen to the community. We need to listen to the players. We need to figure out a way uh, to make sure that they're getting what they want out of this. But at the same time, can we actually trust their opinion? And... You know, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And I don't know where that line is all the time. Yeah, there are a lot of opinions. And most of the time you just have to look at the numbers. Yeah, and it's it's difficult because, you know, the there's part of me that wants to please everybody. There's, you know, I, I walked away from Worlds. Uh, a lot of people at the event said, you know, it's fantastic. It's great. You know, you did a, a great job. 
we all had a really good time. Um, and, uh, and it was awesome. And then within 24 hours, uh, I had people emailing me to tell me what a despicable piece of shit I am. And, uh, you know, just, you know, people were, were like livid that HD versions of every single freestyle were not online yet. So it was like, if you mess up one tiny aspect of it, or if you don't put enough importance on one tiny aspect of it, people will turn on you 180 degrees. Like I went from feeling great that I had just spent a, a year plus of my life putting together an amazing event to literally wanting to throw my computer out the window and never speak to anybody again because everybody had just people had just turned on me so fast. So if this is the culture that we're creating for organizers, how is that how are we going to bring new organizers into that? Like who wants to be part of that? You know, who who wakes up in the morning and is like, I want to be a target on the internet. Sign me up. Yeah, I, it takes a lot of time in the community to realize. Like, I, I find that, like, I'm going on my 11th year, and, like, every year I'm, like, looking at contests and I'm seeing a lot of things that I feel like I, I could do that a little bit better. But, like, if I were to ever voice these opinions, people are always ready to just jump up and tell you you're wrong. But no one's doing anything at all yeah there's there's a there's a ton of room for improvement and i mean like the day before 2016 worlds i sat down and made a list of everything i felt like i hadn't done well and everything that i wish i could have done better and everything i wish i'd had more budget for and everything i wish i could have done differently if i'd had more time or more money or more manpower or more whatever and the list of things that I wanted to change about the contest the night before the contest was almost as long as the list of things I had done for the contest. You know, like there's no, there's no such thing as good enough. Um, and it's because we love this, you know. It's, uh, it's because we have such high expectations of this because it, it matters so much to all of us. But the thing is, is, you know, you're absolutely right. There's always room for improvement. There's always tons of room for improvement. And one of the biggest things that I learned from running Worlds is that a lot of the things that we want to fix, a lot of the things that aren't good enough, are problems that we simply need to throw more money at. Uh, I am going to go on record and say that this 2016 World Yo-Yo Contest had the fewest music issues ever of any World Yo-Yo Contest in modern history, period. And why is that? That's because I spent an absurd amount of money on hiring a seriously high-quality professional production crew to manage all the sound, the lights, the video, the music. And I think there's an infinite amount of things that we could be putting more money into. If you had the budget, what would be the next maybe two or three things that you would put money into that you didn't have the budget for this year? Um, are you talking contests like specifically to this one contest or to yo-yo contests in America in general? Um, well, let's say specifically for the world yo-yo contest. Okay. Um, prize money. I would have, uh, I, I had started this whole endeavor with every intention of having a significant amount of prize money. And when the registration started coming in, the registration started coming in at somewhere around 30% of what I had projected. Um, 
and it was straight up registration dollars that I needed in order to provide prize money. And what happened is I was expecting almost 500 people to compete and I got like 250 people to compete. Um, because w for whatever reason, the U.S. yo-yoing culture means that we have a lot of people who showed up for one or two days to watch and hang out who are players, but people didn't show up to compete. People didn't feel like uh, they could win, and so they didn't compete at all. Um, and I, that was my mistake as an organizer, was basing those numbers off of what Japan had just done in 2015, forgetting the crucial idea that the Japanese yo-yo player culture favors competition more strongly than the U.S. culture does. The U.S. culture favors innovation and basically just complains about competition, and the Japanese culture favors competition and encourages it. Um, so I thought I was going to get the same competitor numbers that they did or close to it, because I was like, well, you know, we haven't had a world yo-yo contest in the U.S. in a couple of years. People are going to be hungry for it. It's going to be like the big contest of the year. And, uh, and it just didn't happen. Tons of spectators, way more spectator passes than I expected at all. But uh, the price difference between spectators and competitors meant that I didn't have enough money for prize money. And that really sucked. Yeah, it's, it's also frustrating for the competitors. Um, I've been noticing even at state contests on lower levels that it's the same thing where there will be 10 to 15 very, very, very high level competitors. And then maybe 10 people who maybe don't think they can win but can like gauge uh, where they are. But most people are just coming and hanging out. So in the future, how would you increase um, participation in the event, even if it's not through just standard competing? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I mean, the, the thing is, is that there is a, um, like a fundamental difference between Japanese player culture and U.S. player culture is that they value the effort of uh, putting the effort into competing. Even if you know you're not going to win, even if you're like, my skill level is simply not at, you know, I, I am not matching the skill level of the other people competing, and I know that I do not have a chance to win. But for them, like doing the absolute best they can and putting forth that degree of effort and putting that much love and work into it is its own reward. Whereas in the U.S., the reward is the reward. You know, we are very much a culture that values winning. You know, we don't care about the journey. We care about the destination. That's the American way. Um, so it's a, it's a fundamental cultural difference that kind of prevents that sort of thing. Now, to some degree, we can remedy it by making sure that there are amateur divisions at the larger contests. So like the sport freestyle division at the upcoming U.S. Nationals, I think, is a, a great kind of... Um, kind of a great half measure to sort of give kids a chance to, to ease up into competition. But realistically, you know, when it comes to like state contests, like just because, uh, you know, a, a top level competitor is coming in that is most likely going to wipe the floor with everybody there doesn't mean that you should just go, oh, and then not compete. You know, there's that there's like a special kind of like defeatist 
nonsense to that, that it's like, well, that, what you're basically doing is you're saying, well, I'll never win. <laughs> I'd rather never win <laughs> than ever try. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just really short-sighted and it doesn't move you into competition. All it does is um, basically leave you at, you know, eternal rookie status forever. And I mean, yeah, sure, for some people that's totally fine. Um, but if you're actually interested in competing, the only way you're ever going to get better at it is by actually doing it, not by dodging it. Yeah, it took me four or five, maybe six years before I ever even saw top three at a contest. But I, I learned much, much more making mistakes than I ever did doing well. Yeah, and there's a something that I learned from, you know, performing, like long before I even got interested in yo-yoing, just being on stage, there's a lot of things that you learn that you can only learn from being on stage, period. You know, learning how to stay in your light, learning how to hit a mark on stage, learning how to make that look natural, um, you know, learning how to do the same show every night, 10 nights in a row, but make it different every night. Like these are things that you can sit and discuss, but you'll never actually learn how to do them until you actually go out and perform. And it's the exact same thing with, with yo-yoing. You know, yeah, you can stand in your bedroom and practice that routine until you can hit all those tricks 100 times out of 100. But that is not the same thing as getting on stage and doing it. You know, and the only way that you're going to get better at getting on stage is by getting on stage. Even if it means getting your ass handed to you in 100 contests before you finally win one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely continue to go up on stage because I, it, it's really for me at least where I don't have anything else like that in my life where I go on stage and I'm learning so many things about myself and the, and how I react to different situations, stuff like that. And I, I think that a lot of people who have never stepped foot on stage have to do it at least once because there's a certain energy that you also feel landing a trick on stage and having everyone applaud. And that, that's the core of why we do any of this, I think. Well, it's being on stage is very revealing, too. And if you lack self-awareness, then it's not really going to do much to help you. But if you actually like are a relatively self-aware person... Um, stepping out on stage is incredibly revealing because, you know, to some degree, like we build all these artifices and, and kind of like build this persona and then put it between us and the audience. Um, but at the same time, in order to do that, you have to strip everything else away. You know, it's only by virtue of performing and specifically even just yo-yo performing, you know, that I've learned some pretty important things about myself. For example, I'm not a come from behind kind of guy. Like, if I take a, a solid hit, if I screw up one big trick in my routine, I'm done. Like, I will not come back. I will not salvage the rest of the routine. You know, and, and everybody got a really great look at that at Worlds in the over 40 division. Like, as soon as I biff one big, you know, make a little mistake, not a big deal. As soon as I miss a banger, that's it. I, I can't come back from behind. I can't come back from that. It shoots my nerves, and I'm just done. And... It's one of those things that I've, I've come to understand about myself, not just in yo-yoing, but in a lot of other things. 
and you know if i take a really big hit then it is an amazing struggle and a tremendous amount of work for me to put the pieces back together and keep going and you know understanding that about myself learning that about myself from being on stage with yo-yoing and then recognizing that pattern in the rest of my life and other things um, has helped me start to figure out how to kind of overcome it you know and being able to recognize these flaws in myself means that I can I can work on them you know and that's you know for some people it may be much smaller things it may just be like I need to use slower music well you're only gonna find that out the hard way you know but being on stage reveals who you really are for better or for worse and you know it's it's not just valuable for you as a yo-yo player it's valuable for you as a person absolutely and I, I the fact that you can start pretty much any conversation regarding anything surrounding yo-yos and then at the end of the day bring it back to the one thing that we really love which is yo-yoing and performing on stage is I think the exact reason why you were able to make Cleveland so great. Well, I mean, I tried to put together, I put together the contest that I wanted the contest to be, you know, and I have the the, the benefit of being a yo-yo player. You know, I wasn't just some random like event organizer trying to figure out what yo-yo players like. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of these and I've seen the shortcomings and I've seen them as a sponsor, I've seen them as a competitor, I've seen them as an attendee, I've seen them as a volunteer, I've seen them from a lot of different angles. So I understand, you know, what people want, and I understand what people want out of a contest, even if they don't necessarily know how to explain it, you know. So things that we did this year, like the, the VIP player buffet, um, you know, we we filled up a table with response pads and bearings and deodorant spray for your hands and string packs so that when players were hiding behind the stage practicing, they didn't have to leave for anything. And that was one of the things that like I got the most compliments on. And for me, it was one of the most minor features of the events. And it was purely just done as a kindness to the people who were in semifinals and finals because you know, I remember being at the Rosen Plaza and watching these guys at like 3.30 in the morning with their headphones in, you know, desperately like trying to find one quiet corner of the hotel to run through their routine. And and then, you know, I remember watching, um, uh, oh man, who was the guy, who was the guy that used to, that just took way too many second places to Shinji in 2A? Uh, Shoe? No, not Shoe. Uh, before shoe, this is like I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I got... don't know why I can't remember his name. He's such a fantastic yo-yo player, um, but uh, you know I remember watching him like practice, 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 and then snap a string, and then realize he didn't have more string with him, and then having to like leave and get up and like disrupt his flow. Um, you know, and I remember seeing a lot of different players doing that, and so I was like, okay, well here's a solution. You know, this is not a problem that people have brought up. This is not something that people have complained about. But then as soon as you solve it, people go, oh, well, that's obvious. Why haven't we been doing it that way for years? Yeah. Um, so it's Koji Yokoyama. Koji. Oh, Koji-san. And love that kid. Um, 
I gave him I gave him a really cool pair of vintage 1940s Duncan yo-yos that I sanded down for two-way play um, that I used to carry around with me one year at Worlds. He lost. He took second place, and he was devastated. And I was like, here, you need these. And, and he was just like, what? And I was like, you got to remember, this is supposed to be fun. So play with these and go have fun. And that dude had them in his case every year after that that I saw him. And it was like the sweetest thing. Um, but yeah, you know, like I tried to look for problems that people, there's always the stuff that everybody brings up. There's always the, oh, I think the judging sucks. Well, that's the battle cry of people who don't understand how the judging works. Um, so that's the kind of criticism I didn't really listen to a whole lot. Um, you know, do we need to make the judging more easy to explain? Yes, but that's a completely separate issue, and that doesn't mean the judging sucks. That just means a lot of people don't understand it. Yeah, it's just very cryptic. Yeah, it's just not explained well. Um, it's just bad information design, which, you know, that can be solved. But I didn't, I tried to ignore that kind of stuff, and I tried to focus on, you know, like what are the things, uh, what are the speed bumps, you know, for a competitor, for an attendee, like what are the things that are difficult? You know, and what are the problems that always come up every year? So things like having the event schedule on the hotel key card, um, such a tiny little thing, but I probably got more compliments on that than on the, you know, on, on anything else. People just kept coming up and shaking them at me and they're like, oh my God, this is brilliant. And I'm yeah, like, I well, referenced that at least a hundred times. Yeah. Everybody looks, everybody always is looking for the schedule and the option is, you know, you can either post them everywhere. We put it in the program, but then we ran out of programs. That was another thing I screwed up. Um, we put it in the program. We put it on the website. I knew nobody was going to bother looking at the website because let's face it, nobody ever does. Um, you know, so it's like, this is the problem. The problem is that people need to know the schedule at all times and we can't count on them to actually go and look at one. How do we solve the problem? Make sure they can't avoid the schedule. Um, so, you know, little things like that I tried to do because I think that they were important to the overall quality of the, of the event, but also there's small details that can be carried forward. So now this is the kind of thing where, like, I want to do the schedule on the key cards for nationals, for U.S. nationals. And I want to I want to make that like a standard for you know any contest large enough that we're doing like a hotel block somewhere, um, you can get those key cards made in like quantities as low as like 200 key cards. So even if you've only got a room block of like 100 rooms, you can get 200 cards made, two keys to every room, boom. You know like little things like that that are not super expensive. You can offer them to your sponsors as like a really cool sponsor benefit, and it raises the overall quality of not just your contest but all contests moving forward yeah i i agree that anything where money isn't an issue for it such as those two things where you can get them done under pretty much any budget should try to be done as much as we can do it i think that I agree that one of the biggest innovations for this contest was having the the room with the buffet of supplies that, like, as a competitor, I used a bearing. I had one of my bearings just get shot in the middle of practicing. I think it was a little bit before semifinals and was able to use one. Yeah. So that, um, I, I feel like... All the players appreciate because after you spend all this time and effort getting to where you are, just have little things like that that say that like 
recognize that you matter, that you're important, that you got, you have been working so hard. Yeah. Are super crucial and especially appreciated. And I think that that's the you know if I could if I could give any piece of advice at all to um, to other contest organizers moving forward, it's you know don't try don't run the contest the same way you've always run the contest, you know, and don't just go and like crowdsource opinions like hey how can we make this better because what you're going to get is you know, nine times out of 10, the people that are going to stop and give you their opinions are not the people that you need to be talking to. Um, you know, they're the people that hang out on the internet and look for an opportunity to give their opinion about something. Um, but what you need to do as an organizer is you need to put everything together smoothly enough that on the day of the actual event, your job is just to walk around and smooth over bumps. Like, you shouldn't be, like, running anything the day of the contest. The day of the contest, you should be cruising around, looking for problems, and solving problems. Um, and being able to do that will help you find all of the areas that you need to improve for next time. You know, walking around, listening to the players talking, watching their behavior, watching what they're doing, watching how the judges act, watching the things that the judges bring to the table with them. You know, what do the judges all bring to the table with them? Drinks. What can you provide for the judges next time? Drinks. Um, you know, things like that. Like, you just have to really, you just have to really pay attention. And people are not going to always complain about the things that need to be fixed. They're going to complain about the things that aggravated them specifically. Um, so you can't count on negative feedback to teach you what you need to do to run a better event next time. You just have to really listen and really pay attention. Yeah. I uh, I think the attention to detail for this contest was pretty spot on. Uh, did you feel like you really were just walking around and solving little problems? Did you have any really large issues that you didn't anticipate coming into the contest? Uh, the first day, I felt like I was on fire. The first day, it was just terrifying. I, I did not expect so many people to just show up at the door to buy spectator tickets. We had a line like going all the way down the hall into the lobby. Um, and, uh, you know, I, whenever I'm going to something, I buy my tickets in advance. I register in advance. And this is not the default in the yo-yo community. The default in the yo-yo community is to wait until the last possible second and then show up and then expect help. Um, and Another thing to note as a contest organizer. Yeah, as a contest organizer, you have to understand that the people who are going to do the best to sabotage your event are the attendees. <laughs> Absolutely. I've never seen a contest where everyone had been registered more than one day in advance. Yeah. Um, and the thing that the competitors need to understand is that when we as contest organizers are yelling at them about this, it's because if we don't have time to properly prepare, that's how you end up with someone getting on stage and the wrong music playing. You know, like that's what happens. You know, so that that thing that can happen that can just completely destroy you on stage, that's your fault. You know, when when you show up the morning of the contest with a scratched CD, uh, or just hand somebody you know your phone and you're like, just play it off of YouTube. 
and then the music doesn't work right. Like, what were you expecting, dude? Like, the gods of yo-yo contests are not going to smile down upon you and just pave the way for your championship. It's not going to happen. It's on you. Um, and so, like, as organizers, we try to do as much in advance as humanly possible. But if the players or the competitors don't want to cooperate with that, then that's basically where the problems happen. Yeah, so thank you very much for being here. Uh, are there any products you want to plug or people you want to give shout-outs to? Um, I just want to I just want to throw some big love at Chris from Caribou Lodge for being so very, very patient and forgiving with me this year. Um, you know, there were a lot of days where I just flat out told him, like, dude, I can't, I can't get anything done today because I'm busy with worlds. And every single time without fail, he just said, no problem. You got to focus on what's important. And that was it. You know, it was like a hundred percent love and support from him all year long. And he gave me all the space I needed to pull this off. And, uh, and it was it was pretty fantastic between him and the tremendous amount of assistance that I got from my wife Jen on this. Um, the, without those two people, there's no way I could have done this. So, much love to both of them. All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Thanks. Very appreciated. Very thorough. And thank you for throwing such an incredible contest that is so important to me and I think everyone who's listening. Well, thanks for coming out and supporting it because I mean, without that, it wouldn't have worked out so well. <laughs> so thanks for the support, man. I appreciate it. You got it.